Hello, welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. It's me, Kimberly Trung. I'm back. Unfortunately, this week we're also missing a person. We are missing the lovely Doug Ameth. He is out on vacation, but I, I am joined by the wonderful Paul Ducklin. Paul Ducklin, say hi. Hi. <laughs> okay, so... That's a word I haven't used for ages. I, I don't know why. I always say hello or to try and fit in with what Alexander Graham Bell wanted. Apparently, after he'd invented the telephone, he felt it was inappropriate to say hello because it wasn't formal enough. And he, Not formal enough. He wanted people to say ahoy when they answered the phone. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that one caught on. Thanks for that fun fact, Duck, uh, because normally Doug would be giving us a fun fact. I have a recommendation for you guys this week. It's not a TV show. It's an activity. Guys, I've really gotten into embroidery. Yes, judge me. I don't care. I love it. I've, I've really gotten into this embroidery. I find it very comforting and, and soothing. And then I have like a cool little embroidered piece of art I can hang in my home afterwards. So that's my, that's my recommendation for you if you are looking for a hobby. Duck, do you have a rec for folks this week? Well, I reckon it's not quite an indie band. It's a band we've mentioned before where I said, oh, you, if you'll like this band if you like sleep. And I think you and Doug thought I was talking about actual you know, sleep. what you do of an <laughs> evening. Um, but I meant sleep the band. And a couple of years ago, they did a recording. It was actually recorded on old school electromechanical analog equipment. So it was recorded direct to disc using a, a disc cutting lathe from the 1950s. So just go to somewhere like YouTube and have a look for Sleep at Third Man Records. Yeah, not sleep as in get a full night's sleep. <laughs> All right, so the headlines this week. We have got serious security, web shells explained in the aftermath of hafnium attacks. Our second story, I see you. Your homeworking photos reveal more than you think. And our last story is going to be Poison packages, supply chain risk user hits Python community with 4,000 fake modules. All right, let's get into our first story. Now, the cybersecurity mega news of the week is to do with Hafnium. Now, strictly speaking, Hafnium is the name that Microsoft uses to denote a specific gang of criminals allegedly operating out of China via cloud services in the U.S., According to Microsoft, these crooks are primarily interested in exfiltrating information from a number of industry sectors, including infectious disease researchers, law firms, higher education institutions, defense contractors, policy think tanks, and NGOs. Wow. If you've got something, they're kind of interested. Right. Anything with, uh, God, information, right? Whatever you do, if you're not on that list, don't assume that you're immune. True. That's just the list we know about. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's literally what Microsoft wrote. The newsworthiness of this cyber gang right now is that they have been connected to a number of brand new exploits recently patched in Microsoft Exchange. These patches were deemed so critical that they came out the week before March 2021's regular Patch Tuesday. These zero-day bugs can be used, amongst other things, to get access into and to implant malware onto exchange systems, giving the crooks a sneaky entry pathway that avoids the need for cracked or guessed passwords. 
we're recording this on Patch Tuesday, just when the patches are coming out. So they could have waited a few days, but they figured, actually, let's get these ones out a week early because there's clear and present danger. Oh, so, okay. Uh, what's the deal now that this is patched? Do we need to be concerned? What What is now the current concern with all of this? I, I think, Kimberly, there are two sorts of concern. One is that, sure, you need to patch because if you don't, there are not just the, this Hafnium gang, but other crooks seem to be all over this. So the tricks or the way that you exploit these holes now seems to be widely known. So it's not just this Hafnium gang doing whatever they're doing. There are a whole load of other Johnny-come-latelys who've sauntered along who go, hey, we can use these holes as well. And that's the problem with bugs and exploits generally. Once one person knows about them, news will eventually leak out. If you remember Eternal Blue that turned into WannaCry, etc., etc., the rest is history. And the other problem, is, of course, is that these Hafnium guys, they don't exist as a gang merely because they found these zero days. They were using these zero days to implant a whole load of other malicious stuff into your network and using it in their traditional ways uh, in order to do basically whatever they wanted, primarily exfiltrate data. So it's not just about patching either. There's a lot of noise in the news about web shells. That's the, the jargon term of the week, because that's what these Hafnium guys are using here. So it's important to understand what those mean so it's it's really a wake-up call that says security is very rarely about one thing. It's about a collection of risks. So do you know what to look for, how to find them, and what to do if you do find them, specifically in this case, and generally, because this will happen again. Ooh-wee. Um, so you wrote a very technical breakdown in the article. What is, like, the overall... Uh, how does this work generally, this hafnium, or I guess with the attacks that they are using? So the idea of our articles is we do want to we do want to have some focused and detailed information about the big news attack, so you can go and see if it applied to you because that's actively underway at the moment. But that's not enough. You also need to know how do I protect against this stuff in general. So the article on naked security is all about explaining in, in hopefully jargon-free language why it's dangerous not just to people who visit your website who might see poisoned content, if the crooks can put fake files on your web server, but why it can be dangerous to the server itself, because even if they can't execute the file the moment they land it on your server... Mm using this web shell trick, they may be able to trigger the execution of malicious code inside your network simply by visiting your web server from outside using a browser. The browser tells the web server, go and fetch this file. The server looks at the file and goes, oh, that's got a script in it, I'm supposed to run it. And if it's not the script you expect, then the crooks, they're not actually implanting data that you will serve out to infect or affect other people. They're implanting data so that they can trigger the script later and actually take over your network. Wow. So that's the problem that web overwrites cut both ways. They make your brand look bad and they can affect your customers and your visitors because there can be content there that you then serve up. Crooks love a free malware delivery network. They hack into your web server, put their malware on your server. Now you're doing the dirty work. 
But the flip side of that is they can also implant files on your server that the act of browsing to your server can cause those scripts to run and actually exfiltrate data, download new stuff to the server and do things that it's not supposed to on your network. Oh, not good, not good. Even if you're not affected by Hafnium, reading up on this, because it's the clear and present danger and there's plenty of good information about it, it's a great training exercise for next time. And even more importantly, if you find this kind of stuff, the idea of a web shell is it's a way that the crooks, they're not just putting in malware that does one bad thing. They're putting in general purpose malware that can do anything they want that they think of later because they can upload commands afterwards and change their mind and adapt their attack. So it's, it's also really important not just to know how to find this stuff, but how to go looking to find out what the crooks might have done in addition while they're inside, like creating new accounts so they can wander in tomorrow or turning off security settings, stuff that you might not have associated with the attack originally. Mm. Never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. That's the perfect way to summarize this story. Um, like Paul said, we have plenty of resources available linked um, from this the article on Naked Security. Again, this article is called Serious Security, Web Shells Explained in the Aftermath of Hafnium Attacks. And again, we have plenty of uh, content at the end of that article with this you know, including a step-by-step guide uh, to help you identify all the things that Duck just told you to look for. So check it out. Before we get into our next story, Duck, you have taken on the task of our technology etymology for Doug. And what do we, what is our word of the week? Well, there are two words that sound very similar. And the reason is that they were, although they mean slightly different things, but they were constructed in the same way. And they're words we use every day in technology. Mm. Um, You know, when you when you when you connect to the to the phone line or your cable connection or your fiber, whatever, you usually use a thing called a modem. So everyone's familiar with the word modem. And if you watch videos, you often get reminded, oh, you need a specific codec to watch that. And we use those words as if they're just words in their own right. But actually, modem simply means modulator, demodulator. And codec (laughs) simply means coder and decoder. That's all (laughs) there is to it. (laughs) So modem and codec, they do actually mean things. And unfortunately, they're kind of less exciting than you probably thought. It is less exciting. I I, I thought I was going to be... I I was in the same position I was when I read about Hafnium with the all caps. I was like, what does this stand for? This has got to stand for something crazy. Frenetic. (laughs) Nuclear. Like intelligence uh, undertaking uh, whatever modulator. I don't know. I thought Hafnium all caps meant uh, was standing for something very long and complex. And same with modem. Modem and codec, unfortunately, they're not exciting like, you know, laser. (laughs) Light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. (laughs) Codec is a coder and decoder. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And it's a perfect name, actually, because it's exactly what it does. Yeah, I like it. It's a nice little scrunched up version of uh, Coder Decoder. I like that. Thank you so much. I've learned so much in this episode thus far, and we're only halfway through, baby. Um, Our second story is I See You, Your Home Working Photos Reveal More Than You Think. Now, this article was written by a guest author, 
Dr. Jason Nurse. Yes, you heard correctly, Dr. Jason Nurse. Uh, now, Jason points out something that I've kind Don't of Don't been... make the joke. I did it, and I, I it wasn't as funny when I said it aloud <laughs> about you know the Dr. Nurse thing. I, I thought it would be great, and when I said it, it did not sound as funny as it had felt in my head. I thought it was funny. Oh, did you? Excellent. I, I thought it was... Excellent. I thought it was funny. Super lovely guy. Great article. Um, it, Jason points out in this article something that I've kind of been paranoid for a while now, and obviously it's probably because I work in cybersecurity, but I'm paranoid about the idea of what information I'm giving away whenever I take a selfie in my home or otherwise. And so this article is specifically talking about what information you might be giving away when you're posting your work from home selfies. Uh, according to Mr. Nurse, or actually, should I say Dr. Nurse, Badoom Ching, <laughs> uh, an analysis of you just call images him Jason. of... <laughs> the thing that got me when I made that joke, I thought, you know what, it might be funny to me, but I, I don't doubt that he may have heard it before. <laughs> About a thousand times. He's so tired of it. I know. Sorry, Jason. Uh, so sorry, Jason. We love you. Um, according to Jason, analysis of images of home working environments has revealed work email inboxes, internal emails, names of individuals in emails, private web pages, potentially sensitive internal business correspondence, software installed on computers, of course, and internal identification numbers of devices. So, uh, you know, he basically goes on to talk about how the cyber criminals could be very sneaky and clever about finding this information about you in these photos and using it to their benefit. Duck, what, uh, what are the ways that these cyber criminals are taking advantage of this information? Well, I think the obvious answer is however they think they can make some advantage out of it, no matter how small truth i was surprised at how many people went yeah you're over exaggerating this it doesn't really matter it's all public information anyway not necessarily right that there's a flip side to that when you're not taking a selfie when when you're taking a photo for example of your desk and he was particularly talking about you, oh yeah you know in the last year during lockdown you know you've got hashtag work from home hashtag my cool home yeah office. check out my work from home uh yeah exactly yeah I mean, it's great fun to do that, but I think people forget how much detail the modern mobile phone collects. Oh, well. It is what I call, if you like, the death of a thousand privacy cuts. Mm. Uh, I mean, someone said they, 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 they didn't mean to be critical. They were just saying, look, things like diplomas and degrees and all that stuff. Generally, it's a matter of public record. Maybe. But why make it easy? Right. You just reminded me of the podcast episode that we did with Rachel Toback. She dines out on this stuff, right? Listeners, if you are even remotely interested in this story and why this stuff matters, check out our episode with Rachel Toback. Uh, she is a social engineering expert and hacker, and she literally won uh, the, one of the DEF CON Capture the Flags competitions. Uh, she knows her stuff, and... If someone is trying to target you, right? Now, um, I'm not trying to put people's uh, business out there, but I do have a friend who recently went through a stalking situation. And that is terrifying. And the first thing that she was concerned about was what could this person find out about me online? 
I think if you can think about the ways you limit the information you put out there to begin with, and if you ever find yourself in a situation, knock on wood, I hope that never happens to you, that you've already been in a, a mindset of controlling the information you've been putting out there to begin with, right? Yes. Um, it's not something that you have to retroactively go back and be like, oh my God, I need to delete this from my Twitter, my Instagram, whatever. I need to make my account private. La, la, la. It's something that uh, you work into your daily life as a part of your uh, cleanliness routine. And I love Rachel, um, my conversation with her. She had a really great catchphrase, which is be politely paranoid when people are, I think, and I think that applies to this, but basically her point is be politely paranoid if someone is calling you or emailing you or reaching out to you to ask for information and you don't know who this person is. If you do like sharing information widely, it's okay to give that information away. And if you have given away stuff in previous Zoom calls and you go back and think, gosh, I wish I hadn't done that, it's not the end of the world. The important part here is that what you need to remember is that if somebody calls you up and they appear to know your friends or your family or your colleagues or your social circle really, yeah. really, really, really right. well, by knowing the kind of details that only an insider would know, don't fall for it anymore. 20 years ago, they probably couldn't have found that stuff out except by either being some kind of government spy with access to zillions of dollars or by being a genuine insider. But these days, they could have learned that information anywhere. So the important thing is, just remember, don't be amazed or surprised that somebody appears to know things that seem surprising or amazing about you. They could have got that information anywhere, and the fact that they know it doesn't make them special or important or trustworthy. You're politely paranoid. The other thing is, of course, that that information could have got out even though you didn't release it. Right, yeah. Because you might be in a selfie that a friend took and they published it and that gave away stuff. Yeah. When you're doing Zoom calls, if you're in a shared house, invariably, you know, particularly in lockdown, you're, you're going to have to use different rooms at different times. Some of that information you're revealing might not actually be yours to give away and be mindful of that as well. Well, right. And, uh, you know, his bigger point also, too, in this article is that, like, you may be giving away company information. Yes. You know, you post your work from home selfie. Maybe you have a few tabs open. I don't know, some your desktop showing, whatever. Uh, they may be able to gather whatever information from your photograph and, like, then target someone else, right? Go to someone else and be like, oh, well, I've talked to so-and-so. Uh, and they make it seem like they know you, that they work for the company, whatever they need to do to get information. And we've reported about this in the past in terms of social engineers are getting really clever with how they're skirting around and getting information within a company. So do you want to be a part of the, the problem <laughs> or do you want to be a part of the solution? Absolutely. It, I think it really is as simple as that. So we're not saying that you shouldn't use Zoom or take selfies or enjoy <laughs> right. social media if you want. Of course. It yeah. is simply a case, and I made up a little sort of poem about this. Oh. Uh, you know, when you're thinking about Zooming and selfieing and sharing pictures of your home office, I see you and what you do. So be aware before you share. And if in doubt, don't give it out. Mm hmm. It really is as simple as that. 
And if you have given it out, you don't have to panic. It's not the end of the world unless it was your social security number. <laughs> then when... You probably need to hop on that. <laughs> Bear in mind that when someone quotes this amazing information back to you, that person could actually be someone who knows you really well, or they could be Rachel Toback, or they could be a cyber crook. Oh, boy. Check out the rest of this article. It's a great article by, again, Dr. Nurse, <laughs> Dr. Jason Nurse. I'm so sorry, Jason. We love you. Uh, and this article is, again, titled, I See You. Your home working photos reveal more than you think. Alrighty, on to our last story here. Poison packages, quote unquote, supply chain risk, user hits Python community with 4,000 fake modules. So, Duck, what's the scoop on this one? Well, I wrote this up because I thought it was kind of amusing, but there is a serious side. And it seemed that lots of our readers agreed because it was a popular article and we got some quite interesting com and very useful comments, by the way, um, if you want to head over and have a look at those. But it's the rather peculiar story of this guy... Uh, he was using a server that's a hosted server based in Japan. So is he Japanese? I don't know. But he's certainly not very good at English grammar because he gave himself the name Remind Supply Chain Risks for words. <laughs> I don't know which is his family name and which is his given name, or even if it's he, it could be he could be Mrs. Risks or Mr. Remind. Off he went to prove a point that it's easy to upload software modules to public repositories for programming languages like Python. We kind of know this. It's called a supply chain attack because the type he was doing is, you know that there's maybe a package that Python people like. Uh, well, in fact, one of the examples from his, his so-called attack, there's a package called Asteroid, which is an audio processing toolkit, and he uploaded one called Asteroids, maybe thinking that if you've ever played the, the game by Atari, oh boy, we need Doug here now, uh, <laughs> you might accidentally type Asteroids instead of Asteroid, you'll get his package instead of the real one. And so he wanted to remind us that this kind of typo-squatting attack was a risk, thus his name. And although we already know that, thank you, Mr. Slash, Mrs. Remind Slash Risks. They decided that they would repeat the exercise 3,951 oh times. Oh, my goodness. It was a little bit of a case of if a job's worth doing, or even if it's not worth doing, it's worth overdoing. So the sad side effect of this was that it was this massive load effort for the Python package index community to go and remove all this detritus. But it is a good reminder that if you're using modern programming tools like JavaScript Node.js or Ruby or Perl or Python or Lua or lots of different languages have systems like this, they're repositories that aren't actually part of the sort of trusted core of the language. The problem with relying on that stuff is you de don't get to control who changes the software that your software relies upon. The problem is in most of these language environments, it's not just that you might download poisoned code, like with a backdoor, for example, and build it into your product by mistake. There's also the problem that in many cases, or most cases, these packages come with an installation or an upgrade script 
that runs at the time you do the upgrade. So it's like the whole web shell thing again. A crook can publish completely unblemished source code to you, but add an update script that compromises your server or your development system or your build environment on the way through. Now this chap, reminds supply chain risks, wanted to remind us about supply chain risks, obviously. Unfortunately, they chose what you might call a rather overdramatic way to do it. Alrighty, so what to do? Well, the, the first tip that we, that we put in the article is fairly simple. It's saying, you know, if you are a cybersecurity researcher uh, and you have a point like this to prove, then uh, don't overprove it. <laughs> yeah, it's 4,000 times. Um. <laughs> the second thing is that if you are using one of these modern programming languages where you're relying for perhaps even for business or professional purposes on this community contributed stuff that's not part of the core programming language itself. Don't choose the first match of the project by name because you think, oh, I need something to do with whatnot. I'll get that. And you see, oh, the package matched. I must have typed in the name correctly. For example, in in this chap's example, he had that there's a package I don't know why it's got this name, but it, it does XML and HTML parsing. It's very, very, very widely used. And it's called Beautiful Soup 4. <laughs> That's the name of the package. I like that name. Uh, uh, I think because XML and HTML make a terrible soup of data, and this, this turns it into a beautiful thing. Anyway, he just swapped around two letters. So he's got Beautiful Soup. So a small typo. It fetches the package. Don't look at that and go, oh, well, if I typed it wrongly, it would have said no such package found. The third tip, because we spoke about this on, on the podcast a while ago, is be careful if you have internal packages that you update from your own trusted sources, make sure you don't accidentally connect those to external package managers where somebody could produce a fake package that overrides your trusted internal package and you won't even realise it. And the last tip is, you know, even if you have 5,000 packages that you rely upon, don't just blindly accept the new version of everything out of the package manager into your development system or worse, into your build environment without vetting it. If you chose those 5,000 packages because it saved you the time you would need to write that trusted software yourself, then your customers will probably expect that you'll use at least some of the time you saved to verify that the software you chose doesn't contain bugs that were put there by crooks. Solid advice, as usual. If you want to check out that article, you can head on over to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. It is called Poison Packages, Supply Chain Risk, a name? <laughs> User hits Python community with 4,000 fake modules. All right, we have reached that time of the episode. It's time for the oh no of the week. Oh yeah. Are you allowed to do that? Oh no, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's time for the oh no. Yeah, I can get, I can, I'm allowed to get emphatic, aren't I? I guess you're the presenter. You can kind of do what you want, really. Within reason. I can do what I want. There are no rules. <laughs> it's a free country. Just let me just let me have this duck. All right. So Belfast Liverpool writes, 
Not my story, but told to me by my boss when I first started in tech support in 2007. Background. Our company won the first IT contract for libraries in our country around 2004. Until then, it was just books and shing librarians. The biggest change was public access terminals for browsing web slash library catalog and MS applications. Near the start of the contract, a call was received and from an old, very stereotypical librarian stating that, quote, PC was beeping. All the usual culprits were checked, something on the keyboard, etc. PC fully functional, so a call was logged for an on-site engineer and left at that. The librarian called back two hours later to advise the engineer could be canceled, as they had resolved the issue. Someone had fallen in the accessible toilets and pulled the emergency cord. I think they were okay? The end. <laughs> you'd, you'd hope that a significant part of the delay in that story was bothering to cancel the engineer. Not leaving that poor person lying there thinking, if I pull this jolly cord again, it's going to come off in my hand. <laughs> I hoped. Oh, dear. <laughs> For two hours. Folks, they're called alarms. <laughs> yeah, I'm just really curious as to how this alarm system works. Does it go through the computer? Does it, does it just sound like it's near the computer? I just need to know what the setup was. I want to see it. The ones I've heard go beep, 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 and it's quite loud, much louder than any beeping computer I've ever heard. And there's typically also like a light that flashes outside so that, you know, in, uh, presumably as a backup in case the, the beeping <laughs> it's unit... It's obvious, right? <laughs> I guess if there are alarms like that, particularly things where somebody could be in distress in your environment, you need to know what those alarms sound like and you need to be able to recognise yeah. them. Right. I mean, imagine if they'd all gone home because the engineer never showed up. That person could have been there all night thinking, well, like, did I say something wrong? (laughs) Does this thing not work? Uh, Man, that, I guess for me, I I, want to give this person, this librarian, the benefit of the doubt because maybe they've never, you know what I mean? No one's ever pulled that cord before. Uh, yeah, we, I think that that person may have been a little uncomplimentary to librarians. That's not us saying that. And, you know, maybe it wasn't a librarian. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, I love librarians. And if you think back to the early days of computers, they were prone to beeping a lot because, you know, the first PCs, that was the only, if nothing would work, you know, those beeps, they actually had codes that you could decode, you know, three beeps meant the oh. keyboard wasn't working correctly oh. or five, you know, they, Fun for fact. some BIOSes and okay. some of them, they just beep and beep and beep. And then even back then, as today, it's not done to go around randomly turning off other people's computers. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping the call back to the IT guy was the last thing that they did in, in those two hours. Oh, no. Well... We know at least that that person was waiting around while that ticket was getting placed. So, uh, boy, I really hope that they were found quickly. But yeah, that's our Ono of the Week. 
If it made you giggle or any of this information that we bestowed upon you during this episode was enlightening, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts? I swear it only takes 30 seconds. In fact, we even have a review on our page that, that someone said, yeah, it only took 30 seconds. So go ahead and do that. If not, Go ahead and follow us on uh, all the social platforms. We are at Naked Security on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you have an oh no, you can send them to me. Uh, Again, leave a comment on any of our social platforms, or you can email us tips at sophos.com, or you can leave an anonymous comment on any of our articles, or you can reach out to me via Reddit. I am oh no, it's Kim. That's O-H-N-O. It's Kim. That's my username. You can send me your own no via Reddit. I'm around. And until next time, stay, stay secure. secure. <laughs>